This is the High Motor Podcast, Andrew Doughty, Chase Kitty talking after an adequate week one of the college football season, talking before a week two that has a little bit more meat on the bone starting with a game on Thursday night, depending on when you're listening to this, which may have already happened, but starting with a game on Thursday night, this is one of my early season upset picks that I predicted in the uh, predictions episode last week, UAB at Miami. We do not get a game that I was pretty fired up about, SMU-TCU on Friday night with a TCU-positive test, and then by my count, 21 games coming on Saturday. It's not our typical week two Uh, that we would have in a normal season, but still 21 games coming on Saturday, including some ACC conference games, including that Louisiana-Iowa State game I have on my upset watch as well. Charlotte App State, a very intriguing G5 game. We're going to get into some betting stuff. We're also going to play You're Wrong for the first time in forever. First here, what did you see in Week 1? I think you said a couple weeks back, I think we actually both said this, that we want to see how we feel after watching those first games, and if it actually feels like college football. It's probably a question that most college football people were asking themselves last week in watching those games. Did that feel like college football to you last weekend? Uh, I'll tell you what I thought it felt like. I thought it felt like a hand job. I'm not upset that it happened. I would sign up for it again. But, you know, it was what it was. And Given the it. circumstances... Yeah. You're not gonna complain, no, because there What's was the a alternative, chance... not getting a hand job, like right. There, it looked for a while the entire night like nothing great was gonna happen. Yeah, and you really put your expectations low, and you came out with an adequate result. Definitely, I think that's fair. I yeah. think it also. I mean, you and I briefly were talking before we hopped on today. I was watching quite a bit of actually probably the most game I watched the entire weekend. Texas State, SMU, that game felt the most like college football that we've seen from the whatever we've had, including that first FCS game, six or seven games so far. It felt the most like college football for a few reasons. One being the fans aspect of it. I mean, it's Texas State, Texas State, like they don't really have fans anyway. There's no atmosphere there anyway. So it didn't feel like we were losing that much in terms of that off the field college football feel. Uh, feel. I was also far more interested in like the non-standings, the non-stakes part of that game. Something that I was watching that you were probably watching too as a West Virginia guy, Jake Spavadil's second season. Very curious if he can get moving forward after taking a nice step forward with that program in season one. Shane Bouchelle's final season. Can SMU build on last year? And the third part of it, which probably is the biggest reason why it felt like college football to me, is that the stakes for these teams didn't seem like they have changed with all the cancellations across college football. With 53 teams not playing, a lot of the stakes are gone. I've said that I don't feel like this is a real college football season because when you're wiping away 40% of Power 5, I'm not sure that you can really truly have 
a college football playoff that matters. But in terms of these two teams, even with SMU being a fringe top 25 team, in my opinion, these two teams are still playing for everything that they'd be playing for under normal circumstances, right? I mean, Texas State, under normal circumstances, best case scenario for them was probably four, five, six wins, maybe best, best case scenario playing for a bowl game. Maybe SMU can get back to 9, 10, 11 wins, something like that. But even with the cancellations, those stakes aren't really changing. Did you get that feeling at all watching that game or any of the other games? Yeah, I, I got I got a little bit of that. I got a little bit of, um, didn't it feel a little closer to what a traditional week zero is? That's exactly what it felt like. Yeah. Than, than maybe the traditional week one, where just instead of having like two or three games in one big FCS, like primetime game for whatever reason that we do that, I still don't really understand. As an FCS fan, I don't really know why we do that. But uh, it, it felt more like that, where it was just like, okay, this is the intro. We have, we've got sort of, I don't want to say the JV squads, but you know, we've got G5 teams that are not often in the limelight playing football all day, and we're working up to something that is going to get bigger and better in weeks to come. So I think that's about where it was, and that was fine. I I enjoyed it. I made a little money. And you know we, we're gonna we're gonna move on here. We we got more games to go next week. And we're gonna talk about that betting. I have some questions for you, and I want to get your take on how that first week went and what you see moving forward. Some week two best bets, uh, if you took some win totals and things like that. But we're gonna play you're wrong first because we haven't done this. I can't remember the last time we did this. Several months ago, I'm not even sure. It would have been we, like April or May. I mean, it I don't even know if we've ago. done this since everything came down. We might have done it right after like the NCAA tournament cancellations and I had you on for a betting episode or something but it's been a while and now that I look at it I have four here all four are G5 which I'm certain we've never done before <laughs> starting with number one this might be a hard one for you to even say that I'm wrong or not because it's you have to maybe dig into it a little bit but number one Southern Miss the opening uh first opening in the FBS this season Jay Hobson stepped down after that loss last week they're not gonna be looking for a head coach um, after an adequate run by Jay Hobson, my year wrong for this one is Southern Miss is the second best job in Conference USA. Tell me I'm wrong with that. The second best job in Conference USA. I think UAB is the best job. I think the key there is you and I both think very highly of Bill Clark, and it's always difficult when you're ranking jobs to separate the coach that's currently at that job and what that job is. But I think even if you take Bill Clark away, I still like whoever, if Bill Clark ends up leaving, whoever comes into that job is walking into a pretty darn good situation that could be seen as a stepping stone job. That's why I think UAB is by far the best job in Conference USA. Beyond that, I think that Southern Miss is that next stepping stone job, which is what most coaches take a conference usa job for so i think it's the second best job in that conference i'm not going to tell you you're wrong i think you could make the case that southern miss is the best job in conference usa so i'm, I'm yeah i'm not going to tell you you're wrong there number two i mentioned jake spavital uh that texas state game i'm going to say he's going to be a power five head coach within five years so by the take whatever you want 2024 2025 season he's going to be a power five head coach by that year uh, definitely going to agree with you here as well. That was always the scuttlebutt when he was in Morgantown was that, hey, how long can we hold on to Spavadol before somebody else comes and takes him? So, yeah, I, I don't disagree. 
Do you think he could? I don't think he could. But do you think he could go straight from Texas State to a Power 5 job? No, it feels like he would need one or two years. He needs an American job. Yeah, he he needs like he needs a low level head coaching job or he needs a more high profile coordinator job. Maybe like if it was really, really high profile. Yeah, but it doesn't it feels like there's maybe one more step in there. Yeah, I mean, it feels like, going back to SMU, it feels like he needs, like, the SMU, the Houston step, that type of job, before he were to land, like, a, well, like a West Virginia or, like, a Texas Tech, that type of job. So it seems like you're on board with that for him. Yeah. Number three, staying with Texas Tech there, we're going to bring Houston Baptist into your wrong for the first time ever. I'm going to say Do we have research on that? Are we sure this is the first time Houston Baptist has been in your wrong? I think it's the first time Houston Baptist has come out of my mouth. Like when I was watching <laughs> them play North Texas last weekend, I you didn't were like, actually this is say, a Division One school. I didn't. I, I mean, I knew. Give me some credit. I knew who Houston Baptist was, but like I, I didn't actually say Houston Baptist. Like I wasn't calling over the wife and saying, "Hey, I'm watching Houston Baptist football right now." I was watching the game, but I didn't actually say the words Houston Baptist. So I think right before we hopped on, they came up because we were looking over some Week Two lines. I think that was the first time I had actually spoken the words Houston Baptist before. Therefore, I'm pretty sure they've never been in your wrong. Number three, Texas Tech will lead Houston Baptist by no more than 10 points at halftime on Saturday night. Interesting. We were looking up that line before we started here. It was what, 30? It's pretty high. and a half? It's pretty high. 37 and a half, yeah. Uh... I don't think I can say you're wrong. I, I really don't. And, and that's less of a knock on Texas Tech and maybe more of a vote of confidence for Houston Baptist, who they can score some points and they are, I mean, I, I know we have some FCS people that listen to this podcast. I don't know if we have a bunch of Houston Baptist alumni, but if we do, they can confirm Houston Baptist much more competitive now than they were maybe five years ago. Lots of investments going down uh, down there right now. Like They're investing heavily in the program. So, sure, I'll back that. I think Texas Tech could come out of the gates a little slow, even though Houston Baptist is now playing their second game. Uh, yeah, I, I buy that. And I, I'm not even confident in saying that Texas Tech won't cover the 37.5. If I were to bet on this game, and maybe we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit, I'd probably take Houston Baptist at 37.5. I'm not even confident in going either way on that. I just feel like how Houston Baptist looked early last weekend, it gave me some hope with how Texas Tech has historically, and I get new new coach, new system, weird offseason, all that. Historically, Texas Tech will do this sometimes. They'll, they'll be leading a team 24 to 14, 24 to 17, a very inferior team at halftime, and then come out and end up winning that game by 35 points. So we're going to put Houston Baptist into your wrong. We're going to say halftime score about 24 14, 23 13, somewhere in there. The last one in your wrong here for week two, the most underrated game of week two is Arkansas State at Kansas State. Tell me I'm wrong. The most underrated game of week two. Essentially the game that nobody is really talking about, even though we have a pretty light slate. 21 games, most of which are bad. And no one's really talking about Arkansas State, Kansas State. 
Um, I know why people aren't talking about it. But yeah. I think it's the most underrated game. I think I'm more interested in maybe like a uh, a North Carolina Syracuse. Just there's a lot of hype around North Carolina. Are they going to approach living up to it? And I haven't heard a ton of hype around that. Everybody in ACC country is talking about Clemson, Wake Forest for some reason. So I think maybe I'd go there. But I get where you're coming from. I just think I'd look yeah. somewhere else. I just don't know if we can say North Carolina is underrated in anything this year. With 40% of the Power 5 teams, the spotlight is going to be on a lot more teams, more so than they usually would have. So I think North Carolina was just a little bit, even before these cancellations, just a little bit overrated going into the season. Now I think that they're definitely overrated in terms of the national narrative because we just don't have as many teams to talk about. So I don't. I have a hard time saying that anything North Carolina is underrated. I thought maybe you'd come back to me and say that like Charlotte App State is the most underrated game of the weekend instead of Arkansas State, Kansas State. I didn't think you would go to North Carolina, Syracuse. Well, to clean this up, I think the game is underrated because I'm sort of looking for confirmation that North Carolina is overrated. Do you see how that works together? Yeah, that's fair. Okay. That's fair. So that was more my thought process. I do think the Charlotte App State one is interesting just because... Uh, a couple of people, we've talked briefly about Charlotte and what, you know, are, are they on the rise because of the Will Healy thing? And what kind of team are they going to put forward? They're really getting a chance to have a nice measuring stick game really early on here. What are we going to get out of them? So that that's an interesting uh, observation as well. I'm definitely going to keep an eye on that. Uh, but I think nationally, because so many people have hyped North Carolina as like fringe ACC type of team. Sure. Maybe I'm more interested in that in terms of the big picture. That line, what I'm seeing, opened at 15, North Carolina, up to 22.5. And we'll get into more specifics about line movement uh, and some other betting things. But I want to start the betting conversation circling back to something that we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we did either a full episode or a half episode on betting. I can't remember how much we did on it. We talked about win totals a little bit, and typically – you're not very liberal with your, your your win total betting. You don't really throw things out there unless you, you feel great about it. You maybe only take one or two a year unless you feel really, really good about it. Where did you land this year? Because I know they, they were on the board early, obviously, back in the spring when they first came out. A lot of books took them off the board as cancellations were happening. And then they came back on the board with the revised schedules about a week and a half, two weeks ago when it seemed pretty evident we were playing. Did you end up taking... Any win total bets? If so, why or why not did you take them? Yeah, so I had a couple earlier on uh, that I took when the lines first came out that we've talked about in previous podcasts. Those were no action. I got refunded. I didn't end up taking anything that actually made it to kickoff. Uh, I, I First of all, Bovada, which is the book. I, I have accounts with multiple different books, but Bovada is definitely my main one. They didn't even have win totals available late in the summer. So... That wiped out a lot of my, uh, that's where my biggest bankroll is. So that that wiped out one aspect of it. I think even if they were available, I wouldn't have taken them just because there's too much unknown and I do so much research and, and I am, as you said, kind of conservative with my season total bets just because I do so much research and I feel like I, I know exactly how a season's going to unfold for somebody when I go ahead and pull the trigger on that bet. And how can you say that with any kind of confidence going into this year? I know how exactly uh, I know exactly how anything's going to go. You can't really do that. So I just stayed away from that. 
I've already got some nice futures in other sports. I've got a ticket on the Miami Heat to win the NBA championship that I took before the playoffs started. So that's plus 2,800. I've got some nice baseball bets, uh, future bets cooking. So I just figured I've got enough, you know, future tickets sort of in the fire right now. I'm just going to let college football go this year with everything that's going on and I'll stick to single game tickets and uh, we'll see how that plays out. The fact that Bavada didn't even offer those, did that scare you? I mean, if they're so worried and they don't even know on their end if they should be doing that, did that tell you that I shouldn't be doing that either? Well, it told me for one thing that maybe maybe they were anxious about the market. It also could have told me that maybe they didn't even know if there was a market to set up in in the first place. I mean, there's always going to be people that bet stuff, but... If you're if you're the casino or if you're the sports book and you're worried about your own leverage and your own handle and getting exposed on something, yeah, to your point, I mean that's that kind of tells you everything you need to know as a better. If those guys are worried about not being able to control things and control their end of it. Going back to that North Carolina Syracuse game, like I said, I'm seeing that it opened at 15. Uh, now, depending on what book you're looking at, 22, 22 and a half is Bavada, 22 is at Bet Online. Uh, Really, I think everything I'm seeing here is 22, 22 and a half. So that's a pretty significant touchdown and then a half a point movement for that game. Before we clicked record here, you were talking about last weekend, uh, just yesterday, recording this on Tuesday, yesterday with the BYU-Navy game, that uh, total points moving quite a bit. I know it's been a small sample size here, but did you learn anything from that first FCS game and then last weekend's game of line movement moving that dramatically, do we usually see that? What was the? Ex- I guess give us the example from BYU Navy, and do we usually see that that early in the season, or was there any indication that we're going to see some weird shit this year, and we're going to see lines move dramatically in just two or three days? Yeah, so I wrote out the notes for for this uh, in, in a Twitter thread that I ended up not publishing, and I just sort of alluded to it as the game went on that we were going to talk about it in this episode. So. Looking at the the all of the lines from the look ahead line all the way up to kickoff for the Navy BYU game that was played Monday night, you had a total. The look ahead, the early line that was days and days and days out, that was like fifty five and a half. We got into the week, and I think it was set at fifty three and a half was the consensus. That gets bet all the way down to 48 and a half, 48 right as kickoff was about to happen. So when you're looking at line movement of that, you know, size where you're talking about taking 10% off of a total, every year pros are going to tell you that that's a counter opportunity, that as the line comes all the way down that far, if if the line's going down, you should bet the over. If the line's going up, you should think about betting the under. Now, the latter option there, especially in this age of all offense all the time, you do have to be a little worried about just because a line goes from 66 to 71, you don't necessarily want to come in on under 71. That's a little hairier, but especially playing overs as a counter, that's always a good move. I think it's especially going to be a good move this year just because I think there's going to be so many wrong assumptions about what is or is not happening with a specific game. So I looked, you know, I don't, I couldn't claim to have any sort of expertise or or insider knowledge on BYU Navy. 
I looked at it and assumed BYU is traditionally kind of a not a crazy prolific offense and then Navy is obviously an option-based attack where they chew a lot of clock so people are thinking okay let's go under I assume that was the thought process for a lot of betters but oftentimes betters are wrong that's just the whole premise behind playing counters is that most of the time people are wrong that's why the house always wins so go against the public be a contrarian so I go over you know, we hit the over, I think, like four minutes into the third quarter. It, it was just done, We were, and we were into the 50s. I thought about trying to go for the arbitrage play. I didn't end up doing it. The point is, there are going to be a lot, of, uh, a lot of scenarios, I think, especially early on this year, where you're going to see a lot of line movement, and you can play with that to your advantage. Week one uh, on Saturday, I, uh, there was another great example with the North Texas game, where North Texas... Starts out laying 27 over Houston Baptist. It gets bet all the way down to, I think, 22. So that's a five-point movement. You're talking about basically a 20% movement in the spread. Is that massive movement in a normal season? Yeah, especially early on. And I think part of it is just because people are so excited to bet. When they see other people are betting, they just want to bet. They just want to get in on it. They want to have some skin in the game for the first time in forever. And talk about magnifying those emotions this year where people are so starved for sports. So I do think that had something to do with it. But the North Texas thing is a great example of coming in late as well and and making a counterplay. North Texas ends up winning by 26. So if you came in, my uh, my magic rule I think I've talked about before, start looking at counterplays after three points. So when it goes from 27 to 24, now I'm looking at taking North Texas it keeps going. It goes all the way down to 22, and they cover at 26. So anything south of that, you would have cashed. I, I think there's just going to be a lot of opportunities like that. And to circle back to where you started with uh, with Carolina and Syracuse, the number you said, I think you said, what, like 15 or 16? That yeah, might... it opened at 15. I mean, now you're at, what, 20, it's 50%. I think you just said 20% for that other game. Now we're at 50%, and we'll see where this settles here in the next, what do we have, four days until we actually kick off here. But yeah, opened at 15, depending on what book you're looking at, it's 22, 22 and a half. Again, we're talking here on Tuesday afternoon. That so might 50% be 50% on that line. That might be a look-ahead line, because I'm seeing it open to 21. But regardless, even... Even if it was a look-ahead line, that tells you how big of a gap there is between the perception and then and then what the line is. And we're not even late in the week yet, right? Like we're recording this Tuesday afternoon, so the fact that there, there's already this much movement on some of these games that we have written down that, that we're going to talk about here in a, in a few minutes, the fact that there's already this much movement is kind of shocking and tells you how thirsty people are to bet and. I mean, it may be in some cases that the lines are wrong, but I think in, in a lot more cases, it's just people people just want skin in the game. They want action, and they, they want to put money down early. And I, I've said this before, for this year, some of the traditional rules, I think you have to throw out the windows. The traditional rule is you bet favorites early in the week because you want to get them at their best value before the odds get inflated. I don't know that that's necessarily going to work this year, when you have such potential for massive amounts of people missing a game, I think it's sometimes going to be smarter to wait until later in the week. And if you're doing that, I think that's going to merge nicely with this idea of playing contrarian games 
and going against line movement. I think merging those two things together is going to be at the core of my betting strategy this year, and I think it's going to make a lot of money. Are you? T- let's get into some specific games here. Sure. Um, I want to talk about UAB and, and Miami here in a minute, but since we kind of started with North Carolina and Syracuse, are you taking one side in that game, or is that a stay away for you? As of right now, I'm inclined to take... I, I would say I have a lean on Syracuse plus all the points, and the fact that the line has moved... In Syracuse, is, uh, you know, you're getting more points with Syracuse than it opened at is maybe a slight, uh, a slight factor there. But I think it's more just about this is a conference type. This is a conference game. It's these teams openers. They had a reduced, uh, they had a reduced off season where there wasn't a lot of practice going into the season compared to most years. So I think one of the principles that you have to keep in mind both for just good teams and bad teams, but also for FB, FPS teams, excuse me, FBS teams and FCS teams, is that the, the run-up prep time being squashed together and having fewer and fewer days this year, I think that's an equalizer. So a team like Syracuse that maybe is not supposed to be as good as North Carolina this year, there's going to be less of a gap early on because of that reduced prep time and everybody's sort of on a closer playing field uh, with some exceptions. I would lean towards big numbers this week and, and backing dogs more than anything else. Going back to what I mentioned earlier about, about North Carolina being, in my opinion, a little bit overrated at the start before all the cancellations, now definitely overrated in terms of actual national narrative and how many people are talking about this second year under Mac Brown, do you expect that? I mean, where's the line for you in terms of how you weigh or somehow how you quantify what that national narrative is around a team that, I mean, I'm not sure. Do you think North Carolina is overrated this year? And do you think that number is inflated because of that? How do you weigh that going into a first game like this? Well, anytime you're talking about a team that's gotten hype, Hype for whatever reason, the coach, the quarterback, the system, the offense, anything. The more hype that team has, the more likely they are to be regarded as a public team. And you can usually make money betting against public teams. So I think the short answer to your question is, yes, I think they're overrated. And yes, that gives me uh, an angle on playing a game. But there's just more factors that go into it. Uh, you know, recent form, what's the number, you know, stuff we've said before, and it's worth repeating at the beginning of a new season, pros bet numbers, squares bet teams. So what's the number? I think that's the starting point. And then you start adding in other factors from there. UAB at Miami, that is my early season upset pick. Right now I'm seeing Bavada, Miami 14, uh, bet online has Miami 13 and a half. Are you touching this game? I'm thinking about it. I'm definitely thinking about it. We know that Miami has been disappointing for a lot of years. We know that UAB is good. And the the numbers that I'm looking at, they opened at 16. It's down to 13 and a half at Westgate. So you've already lost some value if you want to take the UAB side. Uh, Traditionally, we were just talking about line movement. So at a certain point, Miami has the value pick in a traditional sense but I still think that UAB can win outright. Like I think they're they could be the better team. So it's hard to judge those two things against each other. I'm still leaning UAB right now, but if the line moves much more, you kind of have to pass on principle. 
it's probably going to be a Saturday decision for me. I'll, I'll look at what the teams have, and I'll look at who's playing, and I'll, I'll make a gut call based on where the number's at and how I feel. What games do you actually feel good about? We've talked about a couple that you're still looking at for the next three, four days here. So uh, those are two, again, of 21 games this weekend, uh, North Carolina, Syracuse, and UAB, Miami being those two of 21. Of those other 19, uh, 19 games, which ones do you feel the best about? What are your best bets going into week two right now? All right, so here's where I'll start. Uh, I mentioned this game on a podcast episode a couple of days, a couple of uh, episodes ago. You mentioned to me what you saw the number at on Bovada right before we started recording, and I literally said to you, don't start recording yet. Let me get this bet in, and then we can start the podcast. Coastal Carolina opened at plus 3.5 playing against Kansas. They're already up to plus 7. So... I'm already I'm already getting double the number that they opened at. Seven is a key number, so that's a factor. Coastal Carolina, I mean, unless something crazy has happened with that team, I love the fact that they're catching a touchdown when they opened at three and a half, and they're arguably a better team than Kansas. So I'm all over that. I've already got the bet locked in. I like Eastern Carolina playing my Eastern Carolina. I like Eastern Kentucky playing my Mountaineers. Uh, I am not afraid to bet against my own team, and sometimes there's actually value in that because you know your team's own strength and strengths and weaknesses. Eastern Kentucky might have gotten blitzed by Marshall last week. Okay, fine, but you can't lay forty points against them if you're West Virginia. You're coming off a season that wasn't very good. You're still not returning a ton of production, and I think you can make the argument that's a good thing if you're a West Virginia fan, but still, like you can't go into that game if you're West Virginia laying 40 and a half. So give me Eastern Carolina. East, why do I keep saying that? Give me Eastern Kentucky plus the just basket full of points, almost six touchdowns. That's just way too much to lay if you're West Virginia. What's your number? I know that I've asked you, I'm not even sure if it's been on a show or not. At, at what point is the number just too high for you to, like if it was 40 and a half and you, you liked West Virginia in this game, is there a number that you just won't touch or that you'll automatically go with the underdog on? Or is it just completely dependent on the matchup? If you're laying the points, I think there's a certain level where you've got to be, you have to be so confident to lay like 42 points I've laid 42 points with JMU before, but that's because it's a program I know inside and out. I know all of the STF, the FCS teams better than the sports books do. So I know when I have an opportunity. I know when JMU plays Norfolk State, they're going to win by seven touchdowns at least. Maybe, maybe eight, maybe nine, maybe ten. This is a school, I mean, this is a matchup that is played every year or every other year, and I've watched them hang 80 on Norfolk State before. So I don't blink to lay 40 points with them in that specific matchup, something like that. On the other hand, any like traditional Power 5 team is playing an FCS school and you've got to lay six touchdowns, you just have to stay away from that on principle. Because, sure, sometimes the FBS school is going to beat the crap out of the FCS school for all of the obvious reasons. But there's a whole lot of times, if you play the game 100 times, they're only going to win by 20. They're only going to win by 24. They're only going to win by 17. So you just can't 
play those massive numbers like that. On the other hand, if you're on the underdog like I would be this weekend with Eastern Kentucky, I mean, the more points the better, right? (laughs) If you're catching the points, then sure, give me 42, give me 49, give me 56. I don't care. Uh, Now, there is an upper threshold where you start to wonder how bad is this team that they're catching. You know, I, I think I've seen... Kent State catch like 62 and a half against Alabama. (laughs) There's a certain point where you wonder how just dog shit is this team that they're catching nine touchdowns. But yeah, give me the points. If I'm the, if I'm the, on the dog, like why am I going to stop at a certain point? Just give me all I can. I'm scrolling back over these numbers here, uh, looking to see where everything is at. App State 17 over Charlotte, Baylor 18 over Louisiana Tech, uh, Army 19, Louisiana Monroe. A lot of big numbers this week. Before we go here, uh, you mentioned those two games. Anything else that you're feeling really good about where we're not necessarily at the the 35 or 40 uh, range in terms of West Virginia, but not something as small as a touchdown Kansas in this mid-range here? I mean, there's, like I said, a lot of games, 17, 18, 19, 20, 16, 15, a lot of games in those high teens, low 20s. Anyone in there that you feel really good about? I think App State's interesting. Uh, They opened at minus 20 and a half against Charlotte, and that's one of those bait numbers where because it's just under 21, which is a key number, you start to wonder hey, it feels like the book is trying to attract interest on App State, and shouldn't that make me nervous? Uh, So that would have been a no play for me without thinking. But the line has now come down to 17.5 at Westgate. I think it's flirting with 17 at some other sports books. If I can get it at 16.5, I'm pulling the trigger. Because as much as we've talked up Charlotte as a potential uh, riser this year and Will Healy and all these things— Okay, but if the line moves four points and now I'm under I'm I'm under seventeen, I'm at sixteen and a half, so I don't have to worry about the hook. Now I'm probably gonna come in on App State because I know it's a good team, they're well run, they're consistent. Uh, I, I'd have to look at what they bring back before I really feel comfortable pulling the trigger on it. But I think that's one that I would look at if it moves any farther and we still got several days to go before uh before I have to make a decision on that. You, sir, on Twitter, at Chase A. Kitty. If you have any betting questions, tweet them to Chase. Message Chase, uh, at Chase A. Kitty. This one's a little bit different. We're talking here on Tuesday. I'm probably going to publish this right after we talk here. So Tuesday night, typically during the season, this has been a a weird start here with that Monday Labor Day game. Uh, Typically during the season, we're going to do Monday-Thursday episodes. So we'll be back on Monday with a little bit more actual football to react to. And then we'll probably do quite a bit of betting stuff like we did last season uh, on Thursday's episode, a little bit shorter. So check back with us. Hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're using. Again, at Chase A. Kitty, if you have any betting questions before week two, if you have any betting questions after week two, looking into week three, you can also tweet at him, tweet at us, at High Motor Pod. I'm at a Dowdy 88 If you have any topic ideas for the show, any specific questions you want us to talk about, anything for your wrong. I saw a friend today, it had been a while. And we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter, cause deep inside, the feelings still remain the same. 
We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in